to look like Jesus, I think of um, somebody who has a joy, has a peace about them. Not necessarily a physical look, but, but their actions. There's something different about him or her. And they no longer have their own agenda, but they have the Lord's agenda. Constantly striving to be Christ-like. When you are really starting to look like Jesus, uh, it's, you, you just live the principles that are taught in His Word. Love presently in front of you and, and practically, and, and it, you crave it. Wanting to strive for that next step, strive to be better, strive to be, I don't know, just like Jesus in every way. You can watch them be completed through their walk with Jesus, and, and that's maturity. Hey, Cornerstone. Yeah. It is, it is so good to be back. I, I think many of you may know, I, I just spent the last uh, 10 days in India, and uh, how I ended up there was I was actually in India in October, and while I was there, it became really, really uh, apparent that uh, Harvest India is doing so many amazing things, but their funding is falling way, way behind. And so I made a promise to Suresh. I said, look, I'm going to go back uh, home, and if I can find some pastors from some other churches who are willing to come to India and take a look at Harvest India, I, I will bring them back. And as we started putting that trip together, uh, January just kind of ended up being the time that worked for all these pastors. So we did. We hopped on a plane. I took them over. It was an amazing trip. And I'm just telling you, these guys and their wives just got so excited about what Suresh and Harvest India is doing. They're literally just changing a country for God. And, and I believe at the end of the day that all four of those churches are going to get on board, that they're actually going to start supporting Harvest India. And my prayer is, is that uh, his shortfall is going to get wiped out here pretty soon. So yeah, it'd be very, very cool. I'm, I'm serious. So this isn't pastor speak. I'm just going to invite you to pray and say, God, you know, Suresh is doing such an amazing thing there in Harvest India, and, and you promised that when we do what you asked us to do, that you would provide. And so, can I just encourage him in the next weeks just to drop some prayers for Suresh and all that's happened there and say, God, would you give even greater capacity? Would you just open even bigger doors, but then would you supply the resources for them to just take India for God? Because it's, it's happening, and it's totally, totally cool to see, and you and I are part of that. And thank you guys for loaning me out, letting me go do that. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it was a great strategic use of my time, even though it meant I wasn't here for a couple weeks. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today. It's called Deep and Wide. And what we're going to be doing during this series is talking about the type of church that you and I want to be, the type of church that we strive to be. And it's, it's my impression that you and I have probably run into churches that get off track on this topic. In other words, you and I have run into churches that are really, really wide. In other words, they've got a great front door, they're bringing in tons of people, they're accepting Jesus Christ, but they've totally missed out on the maturity part of the process. And so what happens is you just get a room full of baby Christians, and so there's a lot of people, but man, their, their spiritual walk is about an inch deep. The church is a mile wide, but spiritually. They're incredibly shallow. And the problem with a church like that is, is that they live so poorly that it actually ends up being an embarrassment to the name of Jesus Christ. Because people are going, man, they, they all say they're Christians, but they live like heathens. 
But you and I have seen the other side. You and I have also seen the church that commits itself to simply being deep, and, and they, they do incredible job of teaching the Word of God and amazing Bible stories, but they become kind of a holy huddle. They're so busy parsing Greek verbs that nobody else can make it into the room. And, and so, although they may know their Bibles really well, they're not making any difference in the community that's around them. You and I have committed ourselves to being a church that is deep and wide, that we're going to have a front door where people who are far from God can come to this room and figure out Jesus in the room, and we're going we're to get as many people on their way to heaven as we possibly can. We say all the time, we want to make it to be really, really hard to go to hell from Chandler, Arizona, okay? So we're going to do that. But the other part of this, guys, is we're not going to be content just to simply get a bunch of people saved, to have a bunch of people become Christians. Our heart is to grow up like crazy, that you and I would be such radically committed followers of Jesus Christ that people in the community, even people who are skeptical about God, would say, boy, you want to see a real Christian? Go check out Cornerstone, because those guys live it. And you and I are committed to being deep in our walk, and in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so our heart is to be both deep and wide as a church. Um, there's uh, Andy Stanley. He's a pastor uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, leading an amazing church there. Wrote a book recently called Deep and Wide. It, it doesn't go exactly along with what you and I are talking about in this series, but it's an amazing presentation about that type of a church that is both deep and wide. And if, and if you're interested at all in just kind of getting the heart of the type of church that you and I want to be, you might want to pick up this book. We've got them on the patio, uh, and we got them in the bookstore at a reduced price uh, for you. Uh, Zondervan gave us permission to kind of use their branding uh, during this series. But you might want to get this. You might want to read it. It's an incredible, it's, a, it's probably the best book presenting, trying to go after these two things within a church. Uh, it's a great read. You might want to get it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start this conversation, and today we're going to start with the topic of maturity. We're just going to talk about the need to do that deep end of the pool thing and to grow up into Jesus the way that we ought uh, to be growing. How many, how many of you have ever seen a Christian who was going along in the Christian life and he went, they were doing great. I, I don't quite understand because just all of a sudden, it was like they just turned and walked away from God. I, I don't get it. I mean, it looked like everything was doing so well, and then suddenly they just kind of like gave up on their faith. How did that happen? And I'm going to suggest today that it was probably in all likelihood an issue of maturity or the lack thereof. See, there, in all likelihood, there came a moment in that Christian's life where they were hanging out with some friends, and somebody said, ah, oh, come on, don't be a stick in the mud, everybody else is doing it. And in that moment, that Christian decided to be a man-pleaser instead of a God-pleaser, which at the end of the day was simply an issue of immaturity. It's a student going off to college, and they walk into a professor's class, and within 45 minutes, he has absolutely demolished their faith because, because, because before they got to the class, they didn't know what they believed about the Bible. They hadn't spent enough time in the Word of God to know how to defend their faith. And so in the short course of 45 minutes, they're done. But the reality is it was simply immaturity. 
it's a hard season of life. It's a moment when it just feels like serving God aches. And there's no end in sight. And because that believer has spent so much time being a ready, a Christian couch potato, they don't have the stamina when life gets hard. And so they walk away. And at the end of the day, it's simply an issue of immaturity. It's when life begins to fall apart and you pray and you go, God, look, 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 here's what you need. You got to get me the new job. You got to make my child be well. You, you, you've got you to keep that friend from being able to cause me harm. You got, and God doesn't answer the prayer the way you and I prayed. And so all of a sudden we say to ourselves, well, how could God miss? I, I explained to him what he needed to do. What's wrong with God? And in absolute frustration, because God didn't take our advice, we say, I'm done. But isn't the reality that that is simply an issue of immaturity on our part? And I'm going to tell you that every Christian that you've seen fall by the wayside, more than likely, the circumstances of life were greater than the depth of their spiritual walk with Jesus. And they were uprooted and wiped out because they weren't mature enough when they needed to be. And guys, I'm, as we talk this through today, what I'm going to suggest to you is simply this. Stay in school. Be willing to take the classes. Do what it takes to learn what you need to learn so that when the moment comes, you're ready for the moment. Every one of us in this room that's had a teenager, you've had this conversation. It's when they come and they go, why do I have to go to school? Why can't I drop out? Especially my algebra class. And in that moment, you said something like this, well, you know, I understand what you're thinking because the track you're on right now, you're probably going to spend your life pumping septic tanks. And I get that algebra doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But here's what you need to know. Even though you may not directly use algebra, the capacity to solve problems, the ability to look at something that looks obscure and confusing and to be able to work from the beginning to solution, that capacity of problem solving is going to serve you a thousand more times in your life. Your maturity... You and I being willing to put in the effort to go to spiritual school even before we need the ability. The, the willingness to say, look, I, I get it. it. Right now, I may not know why I need this. I may not make But here's the I trust that there's going to be a moment when I'm going to need this in my life. How many of you in this room would say, Lynn, I, I've had a moment in my life, that, I mean, it was rough going. I'm telling you, I was doing heavy-duty stuff with Jesus. How many people would say that? Okay. So for all of you that didn't raise your hands, it's coming. For all of you that did raise your hands, it's coming again. Because guys, guys, guys. Whoever said that following Jesus was for weaklings was an idiot. 
They have never tried following Jesus. Because I'm just going to tell you right now that this following Jesus thing is the hardest thing you will ever do. And if you think you've already seen the hardest thing that you're going to see, chances are you're wrong. And if you get to that moment and your roots are not deep enough, your faith is not firm enough, you will be one of the stats who turns and walks away and says, I'm done. And the mature believers will be the ones who navigate that moment and you say, how in the world? How in the world did they survive that? And the answer is going to be because they already knew what they believed and they had already lived out what they believed before the problem came. And I'm just going to suggest today that this thing of maturity, although it's a lot of work and it takes effort on our part, is worth every bit of it. And my hope is at the end of the day that some of us are going to get up out of purple chairs. If you're in Santan, that some of us are going to get up out of black chairs. And we're going to start getting serious about our walk with God. If you've got your Bibles today, go with me to a passage in the book of Hebrews. It's an interesting conversation. It's a conversation God's having with a church that has neglected maturity. They've decided this is not important enough for them, and they've kind of put maturity on hold. And you and I are going to have the opportunity by watching and listening in on this conversation to perhaps pick up a couple of valuable lessons for our own lives. It's Hebrews chapter 5, and if you're not real familiar, if you go to the very back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find uh, this book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Here's what it says. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Now, here's what you need to know. These are not special needs Christians. They don't have a learning disability. That's not what's going on here. These are simply neglectful Christians. See, they've decided that this maturity thing isn't worth the effort, and they've become cavalier in their attitude. And here's what they say, look, 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 look. I know, I know, I know I'm not putting in the time. I know I'm not putting in the effort, but someday I will. I mean, eventually I'll get around to being pretty serious about Jesus. But here's the deal. In the meantime, I have more important things to do. I mean, it's not like anything's going to happen, right? It's not like I'm going to lose my job or my kid's going to get sick or a friend's going to betray. I mean, the way my, my life is so on track right now and things are going so well right now, I mean, why do I even need to be mature? And guys, guys, guys. When things are going well, it's your and my greatest opportunity to work on maturity. Because here's what you need to know. When the problem, when life closes in, if you haven't already grown to a place that's sufficient to navigate that moment, you will blow up your life. You can't wait till the problem comes and say, oh my goodness, I need a crash course in maturity right now. You better already have it settled in your life before. Life falls apart. I had just started out in ministry, and I got a phone call at 2 in the morning, and it was my dad calling up, and he said, Lynn, you, you need to come back home. Your baby sister, Diane, drowned yesterday. 
Some of you know that my baby sister uh, was autistic and she was in a care facility and someone who was charged with the responsibility of watching her that day decided to leave her uh, in a bathtub by herself for 45 minutes and when they came back, she'd had a seizure and she'd slipped under the water and she'd drowned. I remember after the funeral, sitting in the living room with my mom, and as she stared at the ceiling, I don't even know that she realized I was in the room, but she simply said these words, I need to rethink everything I believe about God. You see, the death of my sister hit her like a ton of bricks. And suddenly, heaven and existence after life, and do children who don't have the opportunity to make a decision for Christ, do those kids go to heaven? All of it is in the air for her. Now, thankfully, my mom landed back on her feet. And, but I'm just going to tell you, you want to know what you believe. You want your faith in God to be resolute before the problem hits, or you'll be blown away. It's one of the reasons this thing of maturity is so critical in our lives. Verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need instead for someone to teach you the elementary basic truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. You know what he says? Look, look, look. By this time, by the time you've been a Christian, as long as you've been a Christian, you ought to be further than this by now. See, by the time you've been a Christ follower for two years, you ought to be down the road. You, you should have already navigated enough scripture, an, enough behavior in your, you ought to be further than this. By the time you've been a Christian for seven years, I mean, where you ought to be if you had been taking your walk with Jesus seriously. And he says, but you're, you're not even near that. You're, you're still back on baby food. You know, it's interesting. He says, by this time, by this time, you ought to be a teacher. And look, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily saying that all of us need to go and teach a class. I don't, most of us don't have that giftedness. I think all he's saying is simply this. By this time, you should have experienced so much Jesus in your life. There's so many lessons you should have learned that you have the capacity to turn to a younger Christian, to someone who's a little bit further behind you and say, let me tell you what God has taught me. And that doesn't mean that you've got a formal title and you're standing in front of 40 people. It could be over a cup of coffee. But by this time, you ought to be teaching others what God has already done in you. And then he says, the problem is, you're still doing basics. You're still back all the way in elementary baby truths. The reality is things that are causing you to hesitate, 
places where you're living in disobedience, places where you're just struggling with God, you, you should be so far beyond that. By this time, if you've been a Christian as long as you've been a Christian, verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. He says, look, you're, you, you ought to be half grown by now, and you're still, you're still breastfeeding. Man, I, I'm, I'm flipping through the channels the other day, and Discovery Channel comes up, and next thing I know, there's like a five-year-old breastfeeding. I'm like, wah! That, that's, just, that's just wrong, right? I mean, that's wrong. What hope does that kid have in the future? But you, you realize in the church, we got five-year-olds breastfeeding. We, we got Christians who by now ought to be so much further, and we're still doing milk. And he said, look, this, this shouldn't be. If you were serious about growing up, Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use, constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Guys, this is where so many churches get maturity wrong because there's all too many churches out there that think that maturity and biblical knowledge are the same thing. This, has, this is not about how much Bible you know. This is about how much Bible you live. By constant use. I don't care that you can beat everybody else to the passage. I don't care that you can quote Scripture. What God cares about is how much Bible do you live in your life? How deeply have you been changed? How much do you and I look like Jesus Christ? Matter of fact, if you walk in the lobby on any given Sunday, look up on the wall because right there where it says maturity, it says this, we will not be satisfied till we look like Jesus. And that is maturity. And guys, I'm not saying don't know your Bible. Look, you can't follow Jesus if you don't know what Jesus said. You've got to know your Bible, but at the end of the day, it's how much Bible have you put into practice. When people look at you, do they see you living like the God you say you worship, by constant use. How come so many Christians neglect this? Not, not you and me, of course, but how come so many Christians neglect this? Why do we put maturity off? Why do we hesitate? Because the answer is simply this. Maturity is a lot of hard work. Maturity, if you and I are really going to get serious about our walk with Jesus, we're going to have to live beyond the purple chair, beyond the black chair at Santan. It, it can't happen just walking in this room every Sunday and listening because you and I have got to start putting some of this into practice. If you've been around Cornerstone for any length of time, you've heard us talk about three to be, in which we encourage people over and over and over again and say, look, 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 we're going to ask you to worship an hour, 
We're going to ask you to grow an hour. We're going to ask you to serve an hour, which simply means this. We're going to ask you to come to this room and be part of this worship service where you're going to hear the word of God and hopefully get some new direction for your life. But beyond that, we're asking you to have a growth venue, something beyond just being in this room because you will not get far enough, fast enough, simply sitting in a service. And so he said, look, you need to join a small group or you need to be part. You need to have a place where you're saying, look, I'm going there to accelerate my growth. Worship an hour, grow an hour, and then you've got to serve an hour. You've got to put into practice what you've been learning. And guys, here's the you know, three to be, worship an hour, grow an hour, serve an hour, that's not the destination. That's not the end of maturity. That's the beginning. And if you haven't committed yourself to at least that, if you haven't given yourself to say, look, I'm willing to come to church, I'm willing to go to a growth venue, and I'm willing to serve somewhere, I'm just going to say aloud. I'm not sure you're serious about this growing up in Jesus thing, because that's simply the beginning of the journey. And until you get serious, you won't be anywhere near where you ought to be by now. Let me… Let me just give you a couple reasons why I think it's worth the investment, it's worth the effort in our lives to get serious about growing up in Jesus. First reason is simply this. When you and I embrace maturity, when you and I get serious about maturity, it suddenly produces in your life and my life a greater capacity for following God and doing… It just, it makes you and I that much better at this, that much stronger at this. You ever watched a Christian and said, how in the world, how in the world did that happen? And you're not just blown up. How did you face that? It, it's incredible because it looked like it was like a little speed bump, boom, 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 and you're already on with Jesus. If that had happened to me, man, I would be, I would be wrecked. You know what the answer is? That Christian's more mature. That Christian has already paid the price, done the time, and is further on than you are. And maturity brings you and me a capacity to live this Christian life at a higher level and to navigate things that before we thought were impossible. Years ago, many of you know, I was a youth pastor. I, I took a group of kids up skiing on President's Day weekend. We go up to ski, and we get off the bus, and all get into our skis, and I head off. The first place I go is a blue run. Now, any of you that, that don't ski, uh, here's what a blue… Green is, is the easy stuff. Blue is kind of intermediate. Black is you're crazy if you go down this run. So I, I go to a blue run, and I start down the blue run. Here's what I didn't know. The bottom half of the blue run turned into a black. So now I, I get going, I'm, and I hit the black portion, and I am flopping and flying, and skis are going in every way. It takes me 40 minutes to do about 150 yards of black on this run. And I get to the bottom and I say to my, I will never do that again. I am going to avoid that run the entire rest of the three-day weekend. And I do. I skied every other part of the mountain, but I did not go back to that run. 
Interestingly enough, I actually tackled a couple blacks. Did all right. And it occurred to me on the final day, just a few uh, hours before we were going to load back on the bus and leave, and I thought, you know what? I wonder if I've gotten any better at this. I'm going to go try the blue-black. And so I ski back over to the run, and I start down, waiting in anticipation for the black portion of the run. I get over halfway down, and I can't find it. I ski a little further, and it's disappeared. I get to the bottom of the run, and I think to myself, did they come with a snow cat and knock it all down? What was going on? I turn, and I look back up the run, and it's right there. I had skied through it. Because, because, because. Over what I had experienced in those three days, I'd gotten better. And suddenly what had been blowing up my life before was easy to handle. It's the answer to maturity. That when you and I grow in Christ, it suddenly expands our capacity to follow Christ. And suddenly things that only a year ago would have blown your life to shreds, you're now cutting curves. You're, you're, it, it seems simple in your life because you become more mature. And you'll have other believers looking and saying, how in the world did you do that? Because I paid the price. I took the time. I read my scriptures. I went to the Bible study. I lived what I said I believed. And it increased my capacity to follow Jesus. And let me ask you a question. Given how long you've been a Christian, you've been a Christian for three years, where, where should you be by now? I mean, if you had been serious all three years since you gave your life to Christ, where should you be by this time? Some of us in this room, you've been a Christian longer than a decade. Some of you have been a Christian for 15, 20 years. If you had been a serious follower of Jesus that entire where where should you be by now? in this area of maturity, if you had really been following Jesus with all your heart? And are you anywhere near that? Would Jesus look at where you are and go, that, that's exactly where you should be after three years of being a Christ follower. That's exactly where you ought to be. And what if, what if out of today, what if out of this discussion today, you and I who may in honesty say, you know what, Lynn, if I'm just being truthful, I'm probably not where I should be by now. But what if we spent this next year saying, I'm going to do everything in my capacity to get as close as I can to being the type of Christ follower that I ought to be by the time I've been a Christian for this long? By now and I'm going to get there. What if? It might just be the best year of our Christian experience. There's a, there's a second reason why I, just, I think this maturity is, is just such a big deal for us. Not only does it increase our capacity to live for Christ, but it also increases our authenticity. It, it, it keeps you and I from being hypocrites and suddenly we become undeniable examples, unexplainable 
testimonies to the power of Jesus Christ. It just makes what we're saying with our mouths real to everybody who's still trying to figure out God. It makes you and I authentic. Matter of fact, think about that. Isn't this where Jesus struggled with the Pharisees? Didn't he say to the Pharisees, look, 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 you guys know a ton of Bible. I mean, you can quote that thing forwards and backwards. You know Scripture like crazy. The problem is you just don't live any of it. Matter of fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, look, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, and everybody thinks you're so mature and so spiritual, but on the inside, you're rotten. Because, because, because you're not living it. You have an inauthentic Christian life. Which brings all the more home, guys. Look, this isn't about how much Bible you know. It's about how much Bible we live. And I'm not saying, look, look, look. I'm not saying don't say, you've got to study your Bible if you're going to do your Bible. I'm just saying there can't be a gap between what you know and what you live. Those two things have to line up because you get the distance between what you know to do and what you actually do is hypocrisy. If there's a difference between what you know Jesus wants you to do and what Scripture's asked you to do and what you actually live, you realize everything in that gap is hypocritical on your part. We had a gentleman who actually attended our church a ways back. He'd come in and say, you know what, there's just not a deep enough Bible study for me. I, and, and we'd send him to a class, he'd come back, no, 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 not deep enough. We'd send him to another class, he'd go, no, no, no. Finally, he found a class. Four people in the class. Because this thing was like so deep, nobody else wanted to sit in the room. I mean, it was, And he was in there parsing verbs and arguing with the teacher and going, I mean, this guy knew his Bible. Did I mention that he was arrested for DWI three times? Then on the final time, he actually hit a man and killed him, driving drunk. Fled the scene of the accident. And when he was finally caught, they threw him in jail for a year. He was on work release, and so his wife would get up every morning at 4 o'clock and drive to downtown Phoenix to Tent City, pick him up, drive him back to this side of town to go to his job. Then when his work was over, she would drive to his job, drive him back to Tent City, and then have to drive back to this side of town every single day for a year. When he finally got out of jail, he decided he didn't like his job anymore, and he decided to open up a home brewery shop. Now, guys, look, 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 look. I'm not talking about alcohol right now. I'm just saying this. If you've been arrested three times for DUI and the last time you killed somebody and you just spent a year in jail, you probably don't need to open up a home brewery shop. That's all I'm saying. Subsequently, he left his wife for another woman. But boy, that guy knew his Bible. He could parse a Greek verb. Because, because, because. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It matters how much Bible you live. And when what you know and what you live line up, 
you'll be authentic and people will not be able to deny your God. So let me ask you a question. Do you know today something that God would want you to be doing? Do you have an area of your life you go, I know I'm not being obedient there, but got a place in Scripture you go, look, I, 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 get, I get I'm wrong about that, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. And you get, you get the distance between what you know and what you do is hypocrisy. You want to hear something that's even more dangerous than that? There's a chance if you keep behaving that way, if you keep living in maturity that is less than what you know, that you will develop scar tissue. You ever cut yourself? You get a pretty good gouge somewhere. What does your body do? It replaces that skin with tougher skin. We call it scar tissue because here's what your body's saying. I don't ever want to feel that pain again. I don't ever want to experience that hurt again. So I'm going to reinforce that part of my body. When you sit in a service, when you read your Bible and God says, hey, this is the next thing I need you to do, or, or the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, hey, this is a part of your life that's not in alignment with God and following Jesus. And in that moment, you say, look, I know, I know the Spirit is cutting my heart, but my answer is not now. So what I know and what I do are not going to line up. Guess what your heart does? It takes that place where the Spirit convicted and replaces it with scar tissue. And you do that enough times, it's what the Bible calls a hard heart you'll no longer feel conviction. It's the calloused heart of the hypocrite. But what if, what if you and I today made a new commitment? And what if you and I simply said and promised to God and said, look, I'm going to live this differently. I'm going to live this with maturity. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm already committed to obey, because that's what mature believers do. I'm not going to argue with you, God. I'm not going to wrestle with you, God. I'm not going to complain. If you ask, I'm going to, so that, you ready? So that what I know and what I do are always in alignment. Do you realize if you and I did that, that people who are far from God would have no cause to dispute it? They'd be saying, man, I'll tell you what. I may not believe in that, Jesus, but if you want to see authentic believers, you go to Cornerstone, because those people live what they say they believe. Those people are authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It's what maturity is all about. Here's the bottom line. Maturity is darn hard work. You will not get there from the purple chair, from the black chair at Santan. It's going to mean getting enough gumption to get up and start doing something about following Jesus Christ. It's going to be a commitment to say, I'm going to learn now what I may need later on. 
which here's what it means for some of us. For some of us, it means getting into the Word of God every day and starting to do daily devotions. You haven't done that. You've been, and and that, that, would be, that would be a huge step this year in moving you to say, where I ought to be by now, me getting in the Word of God and spending time in prayer, every, that's going to move me so much closer to where I should be by now. For some of us, it means getting to be a part of a growth group. It means you're, it's, I'm not just going to be a Sunday-only believer anymore. I'm, I'm going to invest myself in another venue that's specifically for the purpose of growing me up. I'm going to start attending the mine on Tuesday nights, or I'm going to join a small group, or I'm going to join a small church down that hallway over there, or I'm going to join a men's group, or I'm going to join a women's group, and I'm going to put in the effort, I'm going to put in the time, because here's the deal, I'm serious about growing up that, that by now, I want to be where I should be in Jesus Christ. For some of us, you're far enough along by now, you ought to be teaching. There are teenagers over there that need to hear what God's already done in your life. There are children in that hallway. There are men in men's groups that need to hear what God's already done. And you, you go, you know, I taught at my last church and I'm kind of tired. By now, you ought to be teaching. And, and even if it's not a formal position of teaching, there's somebody in your life who needs to know what Jesus has done in your life. And you need to take them to a cup of coffee, or you need to find a time to sit down with them at the park and just say, let me tell you what Jesus has taught me about this. For some of us, it's just our own kids. But we ought to be teaching by now. And I'm just telling you, this isn't going to happen by accident. It's going to happen when we decide to get serious about maturity. And here's what I want to challenge us all to do today. I just want you to think about what would it mean, what would it mean to be that much more engaged in growing this next year? What, what would that mean? And I'm, I'm just going to ask you to take your card that's on the bottom of uh, your weekly, and I want you to write your name down, and then some of us need to say, I, I, I need to join a small group, so I'm going to check the small group box. Some of us need to say, you know what, I think I probably need to be teaching, so I'm going to check the teaching box. Some of us just need to say, I'm going to start doing devotions. I, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm just saying, if you and I are going to be where we ought to be by now, what would being serious look like? And what if we did that for 2014? What if we could come back 12 months from now and say, man, I have so grown. I have so changed. this. I have gone so much deeper this year. It'd be a good year. And I'm going to ask you to fill that out and, and drop it in the offering plate when it's passed in just a few moments. May what we read in this passage about a church that neglected maturity never be said about us. How much more powerful that Jesus would say, that church, that church is exactly where they ought to be by now. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come before you, and we're going to be honest in the moment and say, we probably haven't been as serious about this as we need to be, and we're going to change that. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to resolve in our hearts to be where a two-year-old follower of Christ ought to be by now, where a 17-year-old follower of Christ ought to be by this time. No more, no more sitting back 
passively and casually. No more Sunday morning only Christian. We're going to begin to be serious about growing up and looking like Jesus Christ. This is our promise. This is who we're going to be. And this is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.